You've got a Bible, go with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. The time is short, so I would ask for your, your help, your faith. Some of these things I want to say to you are fresh to me. I believe the Lord has something good for us. In Colossians chapter 1, You know, anytime the word's being preached, healing is available. Yes. And uh, what came up strong in me over the last day or two was your healing. And, you know, if we made opportunity for somebody to be healed, healed of something physically, there'd probably be a number of people that would come. If uh, we gave opportunity for somebody to be <laughs> healed in the area of finances or material or natural needs. I know there would be a number of us. But the needs of man are threefold, spirit, soul, and body. And anytime there's a need, there is the possibility or the propensity for either poverty or prosperity. It can go either way. And there is a need for the soul to be made well. For the soul to be strong and for the soul to be healed and for the soul to be rich. Beloved, I pray that in all things you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And you could add, and is in health. That's the healing I'm praying over for you today. And the reason I know you need it is because you work with people. I don't need a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. I know you work with people. And uh, if it weren't for people, some of you would be great Christians. <laughs> Excellent ministers. But consider him who endured such hostility from people, from sinners. Lest you become weary and discouraged and faint in your, your soul. It's one thing to be tired physically. You can help that. Take a nap. It's another thing entirely to be worn out in your soul. And the answer to it is put your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. And you could read that verse and think, okay, consider him who endured such hostility. You know, the cross. Well, you know what? You're right, Jesus. What I'm going through is... Nothing compared to what you went through, so, so I'll be okay. It's almost like you hear Jesus telling you to suck it up. That doesn't really sound like him to me. I don't think you're supposed to read that like this. If he did that, you can do this. That's not the way you and I are intended to read it. Read it like this. Because he did that, you can do this. Because he endured, you can endure. Amen? So would you let the word go to work in your soul today? Bring some healing to you. Colossians chapter 1. I want to begin in verse 3. It says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints... Paul says, I've been praying for you. 
word got back to Paul concerning the reputation of this church and what was going on in this church and what was happening in the church caused this spirit-led, spirit-inspired prayer to come out. And what was the reputation of the church? What was the word that traveled back to Paul? And when I say word traveled back, you understand I literally mean word traveled back. Word had to get on a boat. Word, word didn't just come via a, a phone call or a, a message of any other kind. Somebody went there, experienced it, and brought that experience back to Paul. And Paul said, tell me about the church. What's going on there? And you know what they said? Two things, faith and love. Ever since we heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for each other. I mean, what better reputation is there? What's your church known for? What do you want your church known for? Something besides this? Hmm? Some success of some program you've been able to implement? What do you want your reputation to be? We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard about your outstanding marketing programs and your ability to minister to millennials and those of an up-and-coming generation. Way to adapt. <laughs> you have to be careful what your motivation is in the decisions you're making concerning your church and what you're trying to communicate. These people had two things, and these two things were so big and so loud enough that they got back to wherever in the world Paul was, and they said to him, Paul, you have got to see these people's faith. These people, they heard the word. And they went for it. They believed it. They took it. It hit them in the heart and they said, that's it. That's truth. That's what we wanted to hear. And they put faith in Jesus. And, and Paul said, that's outstanding. What else is going on? He said, you should see the way they love each other. You should see the way these people just function as a family and the love. There's not a need in the place because of how much they love each other. Faith in Jesus Love for each other. Say it with me. Faith in Jesus and love for each other. That's church. So you, you might ask, okay, well, what got these people to that condition? You need to be asking that. You ought to be wanting to find that out. How did these people get into that shape? Were their faith, it was like Paul wrote to the, the church in Romans and he said, your faith is heard of around the world. This famous faith. How these people arrive at that place? Well, you know, if faith is present, then they must have heard the word. The only way faith comes, right? So you could assume that they'd been taught faith, living and walking by faith. That probably wouldn't be wrong. How'd they come to such a high level of love? You want that kind of love in your church where it gets written about and recorded for thousands of years and all of mankind get to read about the love that's in your church? How do you arrive at that? Well, perhaps there was some teaching on this kind of love. But the answer is in verse 5, and it caught my attention and caught me off guard, really, and I want to see what you think about it. Read down into it again, in, beginning in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints... Because of the hope 
which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Listen to this out of the New Living Translation. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which came from, so here's where the faith and the love came from, your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Was there some word teaching on faith? Sure, perhaps. Was there some word teaching on living and walking by love? Yeah. But what Paul identified was the source, if you will, for this exceeding faith and this abounding love. You want to know what it was? Heaven. An awareness and a confident expectation of heaven. I don't know why I haven't been quick to connect these dots before. But when these people first heard the gospel, the good news preached to them, heaven was a part of that message. And it so got in them and the expectation of heaven's reality and the fact that they were already on their way began to affect the way they lived here. And it produced a faith in Jesus. It produced a love for each other. Heaven. This is the way the Lord said it to me just in the last few weeks. And I'll just give it to you like this. And if, it's, if it doesn't fit for anybody but me, that's fine. But maybe it'll work for you too. He said, heaven is real and you're not talking enough about it. Heaven is real and you're not talking enough about it. Why wouldn't we talk about it? I, I know there's a couple of reasons I think I've stayed away from it. One, I've never been there. <laughs> Some of you maybe have. I just haven't. I've, I, I've never been there. So that, I guess that's one reason for not talking about it. I don't feel like that excuse is going to fly, though. But Lord, I've never, this is my first time here, you know. I've never, never been here before. And he's, no, you're not talking enough about it. But I think there's another reason that somehow got in me, and I don't know if it was when I was a kid or a teenager or something, and I have this memory, and it's one of those memories, I don't know if it actually happened or where it came from, but I think something occurred. It must have, along the time I'm growing up, I must have attended a funeral, or I must have been around somebody talking about somebody else who had just passed away. And in, the, in my mind, I have this memory almost as though it happened, and I, I don't know that it actually did, but in my mind, I, I'm, I see myself as a little kid sitting in a church service where there's a home-going service happening, a funeral service, and there's a casket at the front with that lifeless body in it, and somebody standing over a pulpit sort of looming over that box and talking to the crowd about the person that's not there, and I just hear them saying... You know, she's just been talking so much about heaven. Isn't that funny? Just talked about heaven all the time. I think mama just had heaven on. You know what I think? I think she missed her mother. And she missed her daddy. 
and she just talked about heaven and talked about it and talked about it. And that old hip too, I think she's done dealing with that. But she just talked about heaven so much that I think she just went on and went ahead and went there. Which if you're, I don't know, eight, ten years old sitting in a service like this, what, what do you hear? Don't talk about heaven. Whatever you do, don't talk heaven. Why? You will go there now. So don't talk about it. Anybody else? Please help me. No? Okay, thanks. Don't talk about it. Because if you're talking about it, you're thinking about it, man, it's, it's, it's going to send you there. Don't talk about it. And I didn't realize until within the last year or so that that immature thought really hung around our little boy, Justice. This has been maybe a year, something like that. We put him in bed at night and he starts talking about heaven and asking questions about heaven. Daddy, are you going to be there? Mommy, are you going to be there? Will Nene and Papa be there? This is Nene and Papa right here. Will Nani and Poppy be there? This is Nani and Poppy right here. Will they be there? What's it going to be like? And you remember this? And I've just had this thing like, buddy, yes, we will and they will. But can we talk about something else? Because, because, right? If you talk about it, you will go there. And inevitably, and this, I'm going to be honest with you, it was like out of this fearful place where I would say, you know what? Yes, that, we'll go there. They'll be there. But you know what? You're going to live a long, long life on this earth in Jesus' name. And you will not go early. Can you see where this confession's coming from? Heaven's real. And the Lord said, Jeremy, you're not talking enough about it. Here's, here's the deal. Talking about heaven is not going to send you there sooner than is right. You understand that? But there's two ways of thinking and talking about heaven. One, I would say the vast majority of the world in church, out of church, when they think about heaven, they think we're going there. But there's another way to think about it. It's coming here. It's coming here. And the more you talk about it, it will not hasten you to go there. But just like any other faith declaration, it will reach out and grab a hold of what's in your future and bring it to you. Talking about heaven won't send you there sooner, but it will bring it here in a hurry and in greater manifestations, in greater degrees. Heaven's real and we're not talking enough about it. Evidently, it'll affect faith in Jesus. Evidently, it will affect our love for each other. What we need to understand is that heaven is as much, if not more so, the plan of God for your life than anything you do here. I mean, just think about it in terms of time spent. Even if you back off somehow and are able to see your whole life on this earth and the timeline of it, and you're able to see that you spent this much, the majority of your life, and if you were seeking God and serving God, and you spent this much time doing it, and you could point at that chunk of time at the end of your life and say, that was the plan of God for my life. I spent this much time doing this thing. That was God's plan for my life. Well, what about what you do for a thousand years? 
What about what you do for 10,000 years? How's that compared to the 30 or 40 you spend doing something here? I don't mean your whole life's that long. I mean how much time you spend doing the thing God called you to do here. Heaven is the plan of God for our lives. Several years ago, I stood right on that platform behind that pulpit for a funeral service for a girl couldn't have been more than early 20s. She was a young girl in our youth group that Sarah and I youth pastored here at the church. And uh, several years out of youth group, one day she's not too far from here and got hit in an intersection. Lost her life. And her mom and dad asked if we would minister in the service because she was a waitress, a food server at a local restaurant, and they had invited the entire wait staff, all her friends, all about her age, to come be a part of her homegoing service. So it's easy when you're talking about these things to a room full of people who are saying, yes, amen. It's a different thing entirely when you're looking at people who, number one, are hurting. Number two, many of which don't believe there is a God and the rest who do are kind of mad at him right now because they think he had something to do with this. So I'm seeking the Lord and saying, what do you say to them and to these people? And he said, number one, tell them I didn't do it. Tell them I didn't do it. And you tell them this, you tell them I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for them. And my thoughts and my plans for them are good and not evil. To give you a hope, that's what expected end is, and a future. And then he said, you tell them this. You, say, you tell them that her dying in that accident was not my plan. But just moments after it happened, she was back on my plan. Now that part wasn't my plan, but because heaven is my plan, she's back on it. How long was she off the plan? And right back on it. He's good. He's given us a hope and a future. Heaven's real. And we're not talking enough about it. I won't make you turn there. I know you know this verse. It's in the book of Acts chapter 2. Is this still an Acts chapter 2 group of people? <laughs> I had a friend of mine one time. He, he used to be here on staff in this church. He pastors a church now in another state. And uh, he called me one day and we were talking. He said, you still speak in tongues? I said, that's the dumbest thing you have ever asked. Do I still speak in tongues? Do you still pray in tongues? He said, it's all, I said, it's nearly the only praying I do. Yes, you dumb, dumb. I still speak in tongues. He's like, well, a lot of people don't. And he's right. Are we still in Acts chapter 2 group of people? In Acts chapter 2, is it verse 2? And suddenly, you remember this one? And suddenly there came a sound, say it with me, from heaven. Where did this sound come from? 
Where did it originate? There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This sound that originated somewhere else came here. So if you want to stay small and you're thinking about heaven and just look forward to it out there someday, and yeah, we're going there, that's fine, that's up to you. But I'm telling you, the more you and I talk about it right now, the more we hasten its arrival here. And in greater degrees. And I'm not sure outside of the arrival of Jesus himself has heaven ever more invaded earth than on that day. There came a sound from heaven. I was thinking about some of these things, ministered along some of these lines a few months ago. And I was thinking about this verse, there came a sound from heaven. That word sound is the Greek word, I'll do my best Rick Renner here. It's the Greek word uh, echos, I think. And it's where we get the word echos, I think. <laughs> I haven't consulted with him about that, but I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say that's where we get that word. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but I was ministering along some of these lines, thinking about the sound that came from heaven, thinking about anointed sounds. What makes a sound anointed? You remember when David was called on to play in the presence of Saul when he was being tormented and he played anointed sounds. And what does the anointing do? It removes burdens and it destroys yokes. That's what that sound did in and for Saul, removed a burden and destroyed a yoke. But what makes a sound anointed? What makes a word anointed? It's not the way that it's delivered. It's not the eloquence in which it's delivered. It doesn't even have to rhyme to be anointed. What makes a word or a sound anointed is where it came from, where it originated. And this sound originated somewhere else. This sound didn't come from somewhere here on earth. And as I was thinking about some of these things, meditating on them for a few days, I just kept having this little chorus come to me. Just a few lines of a little chorus the Holy Spirit gave me. He just said, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they waited. And it's coming to fill this house again. Isn't that good? Man, I just messed around with that for, you for a few days. Now, most of you who know me and know us, Sarah is the music in our house. You know that. Um, I, I used to mess around with it a while back, play guitar, a little bit of piano, tiny little bit. But every once in a while now, I'll sit down and bang out something on the piano and try to take a stab at writing a song. I really like this little chorus. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they waited, and it's coming to fill this house again. I just thought that's a great thing to be saying over and over. And so I sat down and played out some chords. Basic. It was simple. I thought, man, this is good. I like this. I like where this is headed. So I submit it to the music in our home. And I said, come over here and check this out. And I thought it was really good until it came out. 
Like it was all in here until it came out. And somehow it came out like this, this song you'd hear in a Scottish pub <laughs> sung by a bunch of old former sea captains or something that these just big bearded men, there came a sound from heaven. I don't know where it came from. As of a rushing mighty wind, it did. And it filled the house where they waited. And it's coming to fill this house again. Cheers. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how it came out. When I, when I played it for her, she's like, is this a drinking song? It's like, it sounds like a drinking song. I'm done. I quit. You play. You sing. And we went to we went to the office. And a couple of days later, we were all sitting around with the staff, laughing about it. And I said, "Guys, I wrote wrote this song, and it sounds like a bunch of drunks standing around a bar." And one of our staff members, Lauren, she said, "Well, you know, they were drinking that day." <laughs> That's the truth, right? I got excited about the song again. I thought, "That's exactly right." Those guys came stumbling out of that room. They from heaven. <laughs> I <it> did. <laughs> the reason I'm bringing this up, why we're laughing about it is because you have to find out what that sound is because there is a sound filling your house. There's a sound filling the house where you live and there is a sound filling the house where you preach. And you have to find out, is this a sound from heaven? Is this one of heaven's sounds? Because the decision and the determination needs to be made right now. There will not be a sound uttered in our house, in our church, that did not originate in heaven. Because that's what makes a sound anointed. That's what makes a word anointed. That's what makes a song anointed. You know, you could talk about what heaven might sound like. You could go back and you think just what you know offhand, you know, well, God is there. So the atmosphere would be one of love. Sure. One of, one of peace. Absolutely. But you can define a place not just by what's present, but by what's absent. Are you with me? You can define a place not just by what is there, but by what's not there. We were in the state of Colorado just a few weeks ago, and there was a guy who lived there talking to Sarah and I. He said, you know, we have no bugs here. I thought, no bugs? We're in Texas. We have bugs the size of people here. It's like, keep a hand on your child during summer because a mosquito might fly away with them if they're too small. And this guy said, we're going to have no bugs here. I thought, is this like a no cats in America kind of thing? I don't know if you remember that or not, but just this promise of no bugs. They used to tell us when we go to Hawaii, there are no animals on these islands that could harm you. I thought, wow, maybe a thousand sharks swimming about a hundred feet right off there. But yeah, I get where you're coming from. But you can define a place not just by what's there, but by what's not there. Listen to this from the book of Revelation. Chapter 21, 
We heard a lot from Revelation today. It says in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven. Hmm. That voice was coming from somewhere. He said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will deliver them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. You know what's not there? No death. And because there's no death, there's no result of death. There's nothing that comes as a product of death. Which means there's no sorrow. There's no crying. The Weist translation of it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any longer mourning. Mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Neither shall there be any longer mourning, nor crying, or pain, for the former things have passed away. So, you know that the sound coming from heaven will have no death in it. Will have no mourning in it. Will have no sorrow in it. Again, let me ask you, what sound is filling your house? In our houses of worship, there are two primary sounds, for the most part, I would say, that take place every time we get together. There's the sound of somebody preaching. There's the sound of somebody singing. And pastors, leaders, heads of ministries, it is your responsibility to ensure that every sound that comes off of that platform and through those speakers is one from heaven. Every sound. Hold on to this thought and go with me to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, you see the account of Jesus in the temple. And he's handed the, uh, the book, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He says in verse 18, he's reading and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What is Jesus anointed to do? What is the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God on Jesus to do? To preach, he said. The gospel to the poor. Evidently, poverty is a burden and a yoke, and Jesus was and is anointed to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. A broken heart, evidently, is a burden, it's a yoke, and there's an anointing on and through Jesus to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I won't make you turn there. I know you know this, but you remember where Jesus was quoting from, right? Somebody tell me. Isaiah what? 61, right? And Jesus quoted the first couple of verses there. The Spirit of the Lord's on me. We read that. He's anointed me. He listed the things he's anointed to do. But Isaiah went on and continue to give us really what is the job description on the Messiah, on Jesus, 
And I want you to listen to what Jesus, in addition to what he said in Luke 4, what he's anointed to do. At the end of verse 2 in Isaiah 61, it says, to comfort all who mourn. I want you to listen to how many times the idea and the concept of mourning comes up. To comfort those who mourn, to console who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Did you hear this over and over? Just as much as poverty is a burden and a yoke, or a broken heart is a burden and a yoke, or being captive and prisoner is a burden and a yoke, mourning, mourning. Now, when you go back and you read this, everything Jesus said, everything Isaiah said, what you need to understand is this was the condition that all of mankind was in up until Jesus showed up. All men were poor. All men were brokenhearted. All men were captive. And all men were mourning. Now, mourning, like we said a moment ago, is just simply the response to death. And until Jesus, that was the only available response. There was no other response. There was no other way to respond or react to death. Why? Because until Jesus, death was the man. Death was death and it was over and it was ended. But do you want to know why I believe Satan for all of eternity will hate Jesus? Because Jesus completely ruined death. He ruined it. He absolutely ruined death. Totally ruined it. And now all of a sudden, because of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who rose again, what do you mean you can get back up? Yeah, you can get back up. And death's going, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? Resurrect? What is resurrection? I'm the man. And no, Jesus is saying, no, not anymore. That's over. That's ruined forever. And Jesus ruined death for two people, the one who died and the ones who are left. And now all of a sudden, we have this other option when death occurs, when somebody's life is over. Now we don't have to mourn. Now we got this other thing. Where'd this come from? This, what is it? Oil of joy? This is from somewhere else. We have all these little bottles around our house, up in the pantry, in the bathroom. They all say essential oil on them. Anybody else have any of these? These lavender oils and these peppermint oils and these frankincense oils. And they, some of them have weird names, Melaleuca oil and so on and so on. We've got, I don't know, scores of these things. And they're all for this ailment or that inflammation or this infection or whatever. Can I tell you what is of all the oils, the most essential oil that you will ever, ever come in contact with? It is the oil of joy. It's the oil of joy. Why? Because that is a sound with no sorrow in it. It's a sound with no mourning in it. And that's the sound of and from heaven. All those guys that went stumbling out of the room that day, these were not angry drunks. These guys were full of the Holy Ghost. The happiest drunks you'd ever seen in your entire life. 
Go back to Luke chapter 4. So Jesus read all these things, and I want you to notice the response to what he read from the people after he said in verse 21, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It says in verse 22, all bore witness to him and marveled, check this out, at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. But this is what they said in response to it. Is this not Joseph's son? So they're marveling at the gracious words. One translation says the beautiful words. But think about this a moment. These are not words these people haven't heard. We just read them. These words are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And they've been hearing these words. They've been expecting these words. They know these words. But this time, they're gracious. They're gracious. But their question immediately was, isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, we know where you're from, but those words sound like they're from somewhere else. We know you come from around the corner, but those words came from somewhere else. Gracious words. What makes words gracious? Well, where'd they come from? I'll give you a hint. The answer's in the question. What makes a word gracious? It comes from the throne of grace. Now, I'll throw this in right here. I know that there are a number of us in, in this room who in the last several years, like Papa said it years ago, he said, God has shone and shined the big light on his grace. And there are a number of us that have seen some things and heard some things concerning the grace of God and gotten excited about the grace of God. But let me just offer this to you. If you can't preach grace graciously, <laughs> then don't. You hear me? Yes, sir. If you can't preach the grace, the grace of God without some graciousness in your words, then don't because you might be saying some things that perhaps you even read from the book. But if they're not gracious, then the chances are they're coming out of your head and not from the throne of grace. In other words, if you can't preach grace without banging somebody over the head with those stone tablets that you're telling them to quit living by. If you can't preach grace without telling anybody and everybody else how wrong they are and how flawed they are and how under the law they are and how wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? There must be a graciousness to our grace. And at the same time, if you're trying to preach faith without love, that's just annoying. <laughs> That's what Paul said. I could have all the faith, but if there's no love in it, it's nothing. It's nothing. Well, I'm, real, I'm more of a grace guy. No, I'm more of a faith guy. Let me tell you something. You are nothing without each other. We are nothing without the revelation of the grace of God flowing with the revelation of faith in God and in his word. Because without grace, there's nothing to have faith in. And without faith, there's no way to lay hold of what grace has done. We are nothing without each other. 
But you have to, it's, it's almost like doing a checklist before you take the pulpit. Is what I'm about to say, where did these words originate? Where did these words come from? And that's what these people said about Jesus. Where does he get these words? If you skip down in that same chapter to verse 31, it says he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Authority is a place. What are they saying? These words are coming from somewhere else. Somebody tell us where these words are coming from. And it's not that he was saying necessarily things they hadn't heard or words they'd never heard before, but these words were coming from somewhere else. What sound is filling the house? In verse 33, in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. You want to know what loud voice is in the Greek? Watch me, here I go again. Megas phone. <laughs> and I'm going to take another shot in the dark here. And you tell me if I correctly assume it's where we get megaphone. <laughs> Megas phone. In other words, there was amplification coming out of this man. Long before you could plug in a microphone and play it through a speaker, there was something magnifying this man's voice. There was something amplifying this man's voice. And just like Jesus spoke from somewhere else, this man is crying out from somewhere else. Now we've got a war of words. And none of it originated here. He cried out with a loud voice and said, let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But instead of engaging in this conversation with him, do you want to know what Jesus did? Rebuked him saying, be quiet. So here's the lesson for today. Words from heaven can shut up words from hell. What makes an anointed word? Where does it come from? Where does it start? It says in verse 36, they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, listen to this, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. See, these people were not impressed with what he did. They were amazed at how he did it. A word did that. A word did that. A word took a demon out of somebody. A, a, a word shut the devil up. A word did. That's what these people were amazed at. They were astonished at the word. They said, what kind of word is this? Where, where do you get words that do that? Where do you get words that change things? Where do you get words that create? Where do you get words that bind? Where do you get words that loose? Where do you get words that lift burdens and destroy yokes? Where, do you, where can I get some words like that? You got to go to the source. What's the source of an anointed sound? It's the sound that comes from heaven. That's where you get those words. That's the only place to find these words. And I'm telling you, we must guard with all diligence the sounds that are filling up our house. Amen. Most especially the houses of our worship. And we spend time traveling and, and, and the Lord's put us in some wonderful places and met some wonderful people. And we've been a part of some great services. But you and I both know that there are a lot of sounds happening in a lot of churches right now. This is not to be critical of anyone or anything. It's for you and I to take note. It's for you and I to judge our own ministries. 
There are a lot of sounds coming off a lot of platforms that did not originate in heaven. You know what you need for an anointed word? It's not, like I said, the eloquence. It's not the way it's delivered. It's the origin of it. And the same thing's true with the song. We sometimes get in this, I don't know, this uh, fuss about modern worship and traditional worship and what's it supposed to be. Anything you and I consider traditional is, in the eyes of God, still pretty modern. Yeah. <laughs> you understand that, right? We don't sing this song. That's an old song. I don't want to hear an old song. Folks, it's not about when the song came out. It's about where the song came from. And the sound that is in it. Where'd the song come from? See, people are already coming to church moody. I have seen that. They're already coming in heavy. And that's what that word sorrow is. As a matter of fact, when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Miss Billy read that earlier today. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brother, concerning those who have died, those who are asleep. Lest you sorrow like those who have no hope. People who sorrow are not living in expectation of heaven. And that word sorrow, you look it up and it has to do with a heaviness. And isn't, isn't that what... The prophet Isaiah prophesied concerning Jesus that he would give the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That garment of praise. There's another big fuss in the church. What should our church clothes be? Are we dressy? Are we casual? Are we modern? Are we traditional? We ought to be more concerned about the clothes we wear, not to the church, but the ones we wear because we are the church. And the clothes you and I wear because we are the church is this garment of praise. Put that on on your way to church. I don't care if it's got a tie or a t-shirt. Put on the garment of praise instead of dragging in there moody and heavy and sorrowful like everybody else. People are already coming in heavy. People are already coming in moody. And you know what they love? A pitch black room where they can hide in a corner. And there's some guy on a stage singing some moody song with like psychedelic imagery going on the screen behind him. And this is just doing nothing but feeding that thing in this guy who came dragging in to church. Now listen to me, I'm not, I know I sound like church curmudgeon here. I'm not, I'm not knocking anything, but I'm, let, let's just get practical for a second. A lot of the places that you and I both look to and the, the, the production value and the people that are coming to these churches by the droves and the thousand, you think, well, they, it's dark in there. Folks, these people have a lighting budget of tens of thousands of dollars. Do you know how many lights you have to have on to make it look dark? <laughs> so you can't watch that and then go, ooh, cool, I know what I'll do, and turn off the lights. 
That's not going to work. It does, that's not how this happens. And if you don't have the budget to light it up in a way you know, that, you, that you think is cool, just leave the lights on. <laughs> I guess what you'll have to do is just leave the lights on and, I don't know, trust the Holy Ghost or something. I mean, I'm sorry it's come to that. But what I'm telling you is this is the way people are coming in. They're dragging in. They are living their lives heavy, weighty, sorrowful. And if they're hearing some sound that didn't originate from heaven, but out of somebody else's wounded soul and out of somebody else's tormented, melancholy moment in their life, guess what it's doing? It's feeding that thing and feeding that thing and feeding that thing. And if we never hit the tone of joy, then people may come to church and they may leave more educated. They may leave more well-informed. They may leave with some more knowledge about some scripture. All of these things are good. But let me tell you, the one thing they will not leave with is strength. Because if there's no joy in the sound, there's no strength from the sound. And people need strength. They're coming to your church to be strengthened. Whether you like it or not, you are a gas station. You are a fuel stop in their week. And you have got to pump these people full of strength. Because many of them, it's not right, but many of them, the word and the sound they hear from this platform is the one they'll try to live on for the next week or two or three weeks before they come back again. You got to hit that tone of joy. There's got to be the sound of the oil of joy. So an anointed word or an anointed song or anointed any sound in your service has to do with where it originates and what it flows through. This is where the healing of your soul is important. This is where the prosperity of your soul is important. God made a promise to his people. Stand up with me and I'll be ready to dismiss you here in just a moment. But in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him. Keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Sounds like Jesus. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, sounds like Jesus, and ransomed him, sounds like Jesus, from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord. Other translations say radiant because of the Lord's good gifts. For wheat and new wine and oil. This word wheat is another interesting word study. It has to do with the increase of it. As a matter of fact, if you, if you look up the word, the phonetic spelling of it, track this with me, is D-A-W-G-A-W-N. What's that say? Doggone. <laughs> How good is God? Come on, you missed that. Now, I realize a lot of you are not from Texas. Doggone. <laughs> For wheat and new wine and oil, the young of the flock and the herd. And he said this, their souls will be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more at all. 
That's interesting because that sounds like heaven. So what we can conclude in this is that the hope of heaven, the expectation of it, is not just about you and me going there. It's about you and me laying hold of what is there right now and bringing it here. You have the power to do that. Hope can lay a hold of joy, even if somebody you love has just died. Even if somebody dear to you in your church has just gone on to be with the Lord, you can lay hold of hope that is there and then and bring it into the here and now. The flip thing is true too. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Fear is to faith what worry is to hope. It's expectation. Hope is expectation of good. Worry is expectation of bad. And Jesus said, when you worry about tomorrow, you know what you do? You reach out from today, grab a hold of the trouble that's there and bring it into today. Stop it. Stop it. Lay a hold of the future, the good future that you and I have. Heaven is real. Heaven is real. He says this in verse 13. He says, then the young women will dance, the young men and the old together. And that sounds like every generation. No divisions between styles, no divisions between currency of song and when was it written and when did it come out and nobody cares about that. All they want to know is where did it come from? And the young and old dance and sing together. And he said, I'll turn their mourning to joy. I'll comfort them. I'll make them rejoice rather than sorrow. And I will satiate the soul of the priest, that's you, with abundance. And my people will be satisfied with my good gifts. You know what the word satiate means? Drunk. Saturated. It's the difference between some guy who had a drink and some guy who's had a little too much to drink. The word satiate literally, literally means drunk. What's your soul soaking in? What's your soul soaking up? What's your soul drunk with? Heaviness or the oil of joy? We need some more drinking songs in the church. If anybody wants to get together and write some drinking songs, I got a good one we can start with. There came a sound from heaven. Come on, see with me. As of a rushing mighty wind, it filled the house where they waited. And it's coming to fill this house again. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.